Welcome to the Souls Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soulischurch.com. for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus finally brethren whatever things are true whatever things are noble whatever things are just whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely whatever things are of good report if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy meditate on these things The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for this incredible morning that we get to gather uh, in your presence and celebrate uh, the incredible gift that is mom. And um, Father, we we thank you for your word uh, that that gives us all that we need. God, whatever our task may be, and, and this morning, God, as we are exploring the idea and the topic of of anxiety and peace. My prayer, and and certainly our prayer as well, God, is that we would leave here with so much more than just more knowledge about peace. But we pray, God, that you would take us deeper into a life of peace that's found in you. We invite your peace now to fill us by your spirit. I ask, God, that you would speak through me as I seek to communicate your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank my wife for leading us in that? Appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, So we have been working our way through the book of Philippians for uh, close to three and a half months now. Uh, The series that we have uh, been exploring here is entitled Extraordinary. As we've been studying the book of Philippians, what we've learned about it is that it's a letter originally written by the great apostle Paul to a church that he planted and and pastors even from a distance. Paul has this great big heart for this church. Not that he does it the other churches, but there was just something unique about Paul's relationship with the Philippian church. He calls them, even in this chapter in verse 1, he calls them his joy and his crown. What's so remarkable about this letter that Paul writes is he's writing it from a prison cell, a Roman prison cell. Paul is writing in some of the most difficult circumstances with some of the most extraordinary perspective and joy. Paul is modeling this life that's not bound within the limits of what's ordinary. And he writes about this. He writes in the book of Philippians to these Philippian Christians about a life that Jesus has for them, that he calls us into, that's above the limits of an ordinary life, a life that Jesus produces as we follow him. These Philippian Christians were in an interesting context. In Philippi, they were a part of a Roman colony. Uh, it was We called it Rome away from Rome in Greece. Everything about it was Roman. And being a Roman citizen was the highest privilege. There were so many great benefits to be of Rome in Greece. And it's to this church, as Paul is writing from prison about an extraordinary life, that Paul reminds them that they are not just citizens of Rome and Greece. They are citizens of heaven. 
And just as the Romans are seeking to Romanize Greece, they as Christians are called to heavenize their culture. They're called to live for a greater king, the king of kings. They're called to preach a counter gospel. Not that Caesar is Lord, but that Jesus is Lord. They were called to live in such a way that was confrontational. It was even illegal in that day and age to, to live in such a way that you said Caesar's palace is a parody. God's kingdom is the reality. And so this is who Paul is writing to. These were Christians that, though they were filled with great opportunity, they were surrounded by some incredible challenges. The Apostle Paul in this passage here, he writes about um, this, we could say this tendency that we all can find ourselves in, which is to be living anxiously with the challenges that we're facing. Anybody here ever wrestle with worry? You're worrying about should you raise your hand or not right now, right? What are they going to think of me? You know, th there, are, there are just some things about the human condition that cross over racial lines, cultural lines, generational lines. There's just some things about what it means to be human that unites all of us. And I think this would be one of those main things. I'll give you a second thing in a second. But if there's one thing to start with that I think we could say we all have in common, it's that we, to some degree, all wrestle with worry, with anxiety, with being stressed out. How's this going to turn out? How are things looking? What is the outcome here? I, I don't know if it was, a, it was a question going into 2020, but I'm pretty sure last year settled this, both culturally, politically, spiritually. We had such, obviously, such a shakeup of, shake of our normal circumstances. Uh, here's something I'd ask you real quick. What are you this morning worried about? What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? You could even ask yourself, what am I consistently worried about? What am I consistently anxious about? And sometimes that shifts day to day depending upon the cultural problem or personal problem. I asked this question to Evie the other day. Um, as sincerely, I ask it all the time to my kids. What are you worried about? Come on, dad's here. Jump off the cliff with me. You know, like that's not a real cliff, like in the water. Um, we were at the, the, the beach. I, I talked about this last week at Red Reef and... and, and um, Evie is, is often the more adventurous one. She'll kind of go for it, but she doesn't like to be pushed. You know what I mean? Like if you push her this way, she runs that way. And it was trying to get her, uh, the, the task at hand was trying to get her to get into the water. She was on the paddleboard. We wanted her to get into the water, put the mask on, and take a look at some of the fish. Judah was swimming around, and usually that's what gets her, because whatever Judah does, she's like, I can do that. And so she tries. Uh, but we just couldn't get her off that paddleboard. So at one point, we tried to just get her to just put her goggles into the water from the paddleboard and just take like a, a look down peak into the angle. And, and it was uh, me and her uncle Berto. And we were trying everything and anything. And, and there was that question, Evie, what are you worried about? Daddy's here. There's nothing. And she started to kind of process and she's learning about sharks, you know. And so there's like some of that going on. Um, but Evie reminds me a lot of me. What am I so worried about? What am I so consumed with. And that's the key idea here. We know that it's, it's not just the Apostle Paul that writes about worry. Here's a quote from Matthew 6. Jesus himself, 
Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Jesus himself says this. We studied this in uh, our series, The Summer on the Mount, last summer, going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we talked about this idea of what Jesus is talking about. Don't worry about your life. And it's really important to kind of pin down what he's saying here. Uh, Jesus obviously here isn't saying, don't have any care or concern for your life. That's not what he's saying. It's, it's healthy, like when you get in your car to put your seatbelt on and care about your kids enough to provide for them. Uh, but the kind of life that Jesus is talking about here is a life that doesn't just have concerns, but listen closely. Here's the definition of worry and anxiety. It's a life that is consumed by concerns. It's one thing to have concerns. It's a whole other thing for your concerns to have you. And Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't be consumed by concerns. What we just read there in Philippians 4 is Paul writing to these Christians, and he says it this way, be anxious for nothing. Or don't be anxious about anything. Now, that's an interesting word that he uses there, anxious. From the Greek, I found this pretty, um, pretty remarkable. It comes from two Greek words that he's using here. Um, one word is to divide. The other word is the mind. That's what anxiety is. It's having a divided mind, especially as a Christian. You're divided because in one hand you believe God's faithful, but on the other hand you're not acting like it. You're not trusting like it. You're not living like it. James 1 talks about the man who's divided in his mind. He says this, and is there not a better description of anxiety? The man is unstable in all his ways. I haven't met one person that made a great decision based on worry and anxiety. I'm so glad I anxietyed my way through that. But anxiety, it does the exact opposite. It operates almost like a slave master. Keeping you from things or forcing you into things. So it's no coincidence that Jesus would say, don't worry about your life. It's also no coincidence that Paul here would say, be anxious. Don't be double-minded about anything. Don't be consumed with your concerns. Now, As equally as relevant as worry is, as a tendency to the human heart, I would say so is the longing for peace. As equal as worry is, to, as, as a consistent relevant longing to the human heart, another thing that we all have in common is I don't think many of us who are stuck in worry love our worry. I, I think if, if we were to ask, hey, what would you prefer? A life riddled with anxiety at every turn or a life of shalom, a life of peace. Of course, whether you're Christian or not, <laughs> we're all after, after peace. Uh, peace, now, now true peace. In the Hebrew, shalom. In the Greek, arene. It's a word in scripture that speaks to wholeness. The word picture of peace in the Old Testament is a wall that has every brick in its proper place. A lack of peace, a lack of shalom is when a key brick or a few bricks are missing from the wall. The wall no longer has peace. It's missing a piece, right? It's missing something that makes it whole. And maybe that can resonate with you. You have in your life this incomplete heart. Even as a Christian, you feel out of sorts. You feel maybe like the raging waters of the storm around the disciples in your anxiety. And you're longing for what we all are, and that's true peace, true, true shalom. 
I, I love the definition that Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, gives peace. He calls peace, especially the peace of God, the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God. They just don't make preachers like they used to, or writers. The unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God. Now, in our culture, peace has come to be a marketplace commodity. Again, evidence of the fact that we all want it. In our culture, you have, even outside of the marketplace, but certainly within the marketplace, you have getaway vacations that are sold to you with this perfect, tranquil scene, the peace you've been waiting for. The contrast is like the hustle and bustle of the city, right? Uh, you have divorce attorneys there to give you the peace that you've been waiting for. Call now to get your peace. You have doctors, you have methods, you have these pharmaceuticals that are seeking in some way to provide a prescription of peace. Uh, let, let's kind of re reassess this. In our culture, you have doctors who provide peace, salesmen who profit off peace. You have products that promise peace. And if that's not enough, you have these politicians who promote peace. I'm the one to bring the peace that this country needs. It's like, all right, okay, take it easy, all right? Um, but it's the last thing, I think in our day and age, I think it's the last thing that politicians are going to do in a good way. It's bring peace to everyone. That's, that's, we want that. We want that, of, of course. But. Yet here we are in 2021, and we're still worrying. With all these products, all these promises, all these prophets, with an F, I guess in a P, false prophets, um, with all these promises, here we are still lacking the peace that we need. And, and it's to that situation. Remember Jesus speaking to his disciples as his departure is at hand. Here are the words that he gave him. He says, peace I leave with you. Look at what Jesus offers. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. That is a key part of that verse. It's as if Jesus assumes there is some kind of a peace that the world gives. The world gives peace, Jesus says. But it's not the perfect peace that you really need. It's not the kind of peace that's going to rid you from the anxiety that's tearing apart your life. Jesus promises and said a peace that is unique to him. In this passage that we just read, that my wife read, Brittany, it's the peace of God. That's what he says. It's, and he calls it this, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It's this kind of peace that people look on and they, they can see your life out of control. And they don't understand how could you, you're not in the tranquil getaway vacation. You're in Boca in traffic. You're, you're going to your nine to five, you, but you have this peace, this peace of God. What is that? He, he ends with talking about the God of peace. In this passage, you both have the peace of God and the God of peace. But in both cases, here's what you have the Apostle Paul doing for the Christian. In this passage, Paul is calling followers of Jesus out of an anxiety-filled life and calling us into a pathway of peace. Here is the assumption that Paul makes. Paul makes the assumption that our default is going to be anxiety. So just give yourself a little grace for a second. You're not unusual because you struggle with anxiety. 
You're not a leper. You're not weird. You're human. Jesus himself in the Garden of Eden was sweating drops of blood. Concerned. You could say Jesus was in some ways consumed with what was going on in his life. But we all know that's not the kind of life we want to live into. And so though it might be our tendency, what a beautiful hope we have in Jesus. He calls us into a kind of peace that's different from the peace of the world. And I love that there's a pathway to it. There's a life that's connected to it. And that's what Jesus gives us. Like, Jesus gives us a new way to live. I want to, I want to remind us of that. Okay? Like, this is the Christian faith. It's a new way to be human. Whatever, whatever, if you go to some kind of church and they're selling you the thing, like, this is it. Just take this. Just try this. Do this. Oh, this is the one thing you haven't done. Oh, well, the problem is you haven't been prayed for by our pastors. That, that's not what the Bible gives us. Nor does the Bible just give us a bunch of theology and ideas. What Jesus gives us is a pathway. He gives us a yoke to take on, a new way of life that leads to rest. This is so important. The Christian life is so much more than ideas. It's so much more also than a quick fix. It's a new way to live as we follow Jesus. And Paul, he alludes to that. In this passage, Paul gives us what is the title of this message. He gives us a pathway to peace. He says, this is the way. This is the way into the peace that you're longing for, that you're hoping for in your circumstance. A peace that, again, is of God and even surpasses understanding. There are three almost, you could say, uh, main parts of this pathway. Uh, the first that we read there in Philippians 4, 6, uh, you could say the first step of this pathway to peace is go ahead and write this down. Paul says that if we want to live in the peace that Jesus has promised, we've got to be those that pray about all things. You know, Christianity 101, welcome. Pray about all things. Things. Sometimes the simplest things are the hardest to practice. Sometimes the simplest things are the easiest to know, but the most difficult to actually live out. Now, this is the first thing that Paul says along this pathway to peace. He says, if we're going to be people of God who live with the peace of God, walking with the God of peace, we've got to be those that pray about all things. Philippians 4, 6, we read it there. Be anxious for nothing, but here's the counter. Don't be consumed with your concerns, but in everything. This is beautiful writing. Be anxious for what? No things. Well, then what should I pray for? All things. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, notice this, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The first step of the pathway here. First thing he says to do is to be a person of prayer. The first step in that pathway towards peace is, is to be a person of prayer. Now, the word in Greek that he uses here in everything with prayer and supplication the word prayer there is a Greek word that just, that's just like a general idea of prayer. He, he's like coming in the room and before he's going to tell you like how to pray and what to pray for, let your request and like how to bring your request to God, he just starts with like, let's just start with prayer in general. First thing we have to adopt is a lifestyle of prayer. Now we, we did a, a study on prayer, I don't know, 2020 messed everything up. I don't know if my calendar is like broken now, but I think it was like two years ago. Um, and it was called Teach Us to Pray, where we looked at Jesus' uh, teaching in the Lord's Prayer, walking the disciples through prayer. And, and we've kind of held with us as a church this idea and this definition about prayer. Um, and I think it's important sometimes, especially as the church, to make sure we're constantly bringing back into focus what's, what God teaches, what definitions are. Um, because the world uses a lot of the same words that Scripture uses. 
And we could assume we're praying because, you know, it's the word prayer, but it's like, well, who are you praying to, first of all? Um, and what does prayer look like? Uh, and then also in the church, you, we face these issues with words that we just overuse to where we're like, yeah, I'm praying. I'm praying about it. But what does that actually mean? Like, you thought about it and God saw you think about it? That's not prayer. That's thinking, right? And I know there's prayer. Like, well, Nehemiah prayed, like, God help me with his mind. It's like, okay, let's define prayer. Shouldn't be making fun of anybody. Okay, Here, here's, here's what, we, what we've kind of carried with us as an idea of what we mean when we talk about prayer. Prayer in Scripture is this idea of intentionally directed communication with my Father in heaven. This is what we have been saved into reconciled back to God, brought back into relationship with our Father in heaven. It's what Jesus has done for us through the cross. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't been forgiven of your sins and trusted in the gospel, let me, let me tell you, the first prayer that you need to pray is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The good news of the gospel is that God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to be sin on your behalf so that you could be forgiven and you could become a child of God, adopted into his family. And that's a privilege that we gain through the gospel okay uh, we're you know common idea in culture we're all god's children right we're all god's children now we are all made in the image of god as human beings that's true and so in a sense we all resemble god as his as his creation uh, but the bible teaches that to become a child of god is passage and it's it's a gift granted to those who have received jesus to as many as received him, to them he gives the right to be called children of God. Now, God wants you to be a child of his. He sent his own son so that you could become his own. But becoming a child of God is not just a badge of honor. It's not just meant to excite you. What it should cause you to do is live like one. And one of the best ways we can live as children of God is we communicate with him because he's our dad. We communicate with our Father in heaven. That's how Jesus taught. Jesus' teachings about prayer were revolutionary in that culture. Because in that culture, prayer meant you got to have, okay, i got to prepare the speech, you know. I'm about to pray. So i got to make sure, how's my these and vows? i got a good thee, thou count, all right? All right, how much Bible verses do I have in it, okay? And, and prayer in Jesus' culture was in a lot of ways, it was this pagan practice of trying to say all the right things so that I can get God's attention. But when you understand that God is your father and you're his child, and scripture says that he knows what you need even before you ask. That's how, how in tune he is with your life. You pray differently. That's what Jesus taught. Prayer is, is not, let me try to get God's attention. Prayer is I have God's attention. I'm his child. So I'm going to come before my dad. I'm going to come before my father. The king of the universe is my father. Right? As, as the great Tim Keller says, you know, there's only one person in the, in the royal kingdom who would dare wake up the king in the middle of the night for a glass of water. It's his child, right? It's only the child of the king that, that has that same access. And so prayer then, in light of the fact that God is my father, our father in heaven is how Jesus taught us to pray. That's the foundation. Prayer then is intentionally directing my communication with him. It's not just thinking about God, an idea of God. It, it's not just... Uh, it's not just thinking about the thing that I'm hoping God fixes. Like what prayer truly is, is this practice of directing my communication to God. Just as right now, um, there is a select group of people that I am right now directing my communication to. 
you're a part of it. Welcome, okay, to the club. And some people online, hi guys, we, we haven't forgot about you. Um, there, there's intention here. You know, there, there's, there's, there's people that are excluded for me to include my focus here. And that's the idea. Same with prayer. Just as you have to talk to someone about some, something, prayer is going, I'm, a, I'm directing my communication to God. I'm bringing what's in my heart before him because God is not just an idea. He's, he's my father in heaven. He's a person who I'm called to communicate with. So that's the first thing that Paul says. Intentionally directed communication. I, and I like to think about it, about it this way. Here's a little uh, play on words. You like that? A little dash and everything? Okay. Communication. That's what I like to think about. Um, all relationships, true intimacy and unity and communion is built upon honest and open communication. And through God's word, we have the op honest and open communication of the Father's heart. And through prayer, we bring the honest and open communication of our heart to him. And that has a lot of different expressions. The hope of this is communion with God, first and foremost. Uh, prayer is, is, is not a way to get what I want. Prayer is stepping into the presence of my Father. It's being one with him. We don't treat God like some kind of cosmic vending machine. I put the prayer in. Now do I get that right? We, we treat him for who he is. He is God. He is our father. What a joy. So Paul says, in everything, instead of being anxious, he says, evaluate your prayer life. Evaluate your prayer life. I, I love this, this quote by D.A. Carson. He says, I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. I've yet, and probably you could say the, the other thing is true. On the flip side of this, right? I've yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life and you could meet someone and you go what is the, why are you so at peace why do you have such a peace that surpasses understanding i'm sure they can trace that to the connection to the god of peace uh, but but he takes it a step further it's not just general prayer and communication he says it's also supplication pray about all things in prayer and supplication supplication some of your translations is petitions and if prayer is like the word there is a general um kind of idea of prayer the word there, petition, speaks to specific needs, specific prayers that are often serious and even urgent. Um, so we'll say this word means just like communion with God. This word, this big, long English and Greek word, means help me God. That's the theological understanding of supplication. You ever pray to help me God prayer? God, help me. God, I need your help. God, I need you to intervene here. I need you to provide here. God, I'm praying for the brokenness here. I'm praying for your grace to fall here. That's supplication. Another way that it's expounded on, and Paul does his own uh, commentary on himself, he says supplication, he describes it as letting your requests be made known to God. Right, your prayer requests. I grew up in church and uh, grew up in Christian school. I had, a, I had a lot of Christian stuff going on in my life growing up. Christian school, Christian church, Christian everything. I've said it, you know, Christian family, Christian dog, like everything. So um, prayer requests every, every week in, in Bible class, you know, prayer requests. It's like prayer requests. You kind of like throw up the thing. You get it on the board, you know, and like, you know, I remember one time I, I, um, my dog was, was getting sick and old, and I asked I, the Bible teacher, I said, my dog, Benji, he's, he's sick. He's getting old. And she rebuked me for praying for my dog. Right? Okay. 
a little anxious about that still. I got to let that go today. But, but I said, hey, in everything, right? And that's the idea, bringing everything. Let your requests be made known to God. Now, in a serious sense, um, the idea of what Paul is talking about here is, is bringing what's in your heart before God, bringing what's around your life, your needs before God. You know, it's a really beautiful uh, kind of flow of writing. The last verse, which is verse 5, I don't have it up here, but Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men. This is interesting. And he says, let your requests be made known to God. Now, it's usually the other way around. We, we usually, instead of bringing our anxieties and our issues to God, God, I need you. God, I, we usually bring that to people, don't we? I got to let you know my problem, man. And what do we bring before God? Our gentleness. Okay, I'm fine. I'm not really like acting like I need you, God. And he's like, no, flip that around. Before people, let there be evidence that you've brought your needs to God. It doesn't mean be fake. It doesn't mean don't, conf obviously, like we're a community where you can be who you are. And if you have anxiety in your life, that shouldn't be held to, your, to yourself. But first and foremost, whatever those things are that you're stressed about, it should be brought to God. Now, interesting idea here. Let your request be made known to God. Um, this doesn't mean that you're filling God in, right? God, we gotta let you, gotta bring some things, gotta make them known to you. You didn't know these things, right? Right, again, Matthew says that he knows what we need even before we ask. So, so supplication, letting my request known to God in my anxiety, it's not a, a matter of filling God in. It's a matter of, listen closely, it's a matter of bringing God's presence and care close to your mind and heart. Let your request be made known to God. Bring what's in your heart to him. Here's a, a great way that it, it's explained by Peter. We've all seen this, right? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Bring what you're going through into and before the presence of God. The word that, that Peter uses is cast, and it's so appropriate. The guy's a fisherman. What a guy, all right? Peter's like, cast it, reel it back. And cast it. And, and in that language, you know, Paul's not like a fly fisherman, you know. Is that how you do it? <laughs> like, who knows? All right, I wouldn't know. Um, he's thinking of a giant net. It's, it's, it's this idea of a weight, right? It's a burden that you're carrying. It's these needs that you're holding. And instead of, like, stressing it out and venting it out on social media, venting it out. Here's a question. Have you brought it before God? Have you intentionally casted it before him? Have you brought, listen, have you brought your needs into the presence of God so that the care of God comes close to your heart and your mind? Um, here's a question to ask ourselves each and every day. Have I prayed about what I'm worried about? This is something I, I find myself doing uh, often. I'm wor Wait, hold on. I've worried about this. Have I casted this upon the Lord? Have I prayed about this? Now, there's a key ingredient to this kind of prayer. Did you see it there? We can't miss this, okay? With thanksgiving is a major point in this kind of prayer. He says, come before God, prayer, general communication with your Father. As you come before Him, bring your needs before Him. You're not filling Him in. Instead, you are bringing Him His care near to your heart and mind. But as you do so, as you make your needs known to him, do so with thanksgiving. Now, gratitude is, is another one of those things like peace that's not an exclusively biblical value. 
it's become really popular today, especially with like entrepreneurs. I follow like some entrepreneurs on, on Instagram. Um, and I don't know why I'm not like trying to go out and like do any, I have no aspirations for business at all. But uh, I just, you know, the leadership stuff is, is fun. Um, and and gr I've seen gratitude come up as like, it's a big value in our, have you noticed this? Like, man, just gratitude, it's such an important thing, just gratitude, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm grateful, you know, like, it's just like this thing that keeps coming up. But what's so interesting about it is like, when I think of, it's hard for me to understand gratitude as just like this good thing to have. Here's a question, towards who? I got gratitude, for what? This, from who? And usually this is the thing, man, the universe, you know? Just so grateful for how the universe has, it's like the universe, the material universe, okay. All right. Now, as Christians, when we talk about Thanksgiving, we're not just talking about some general state of like, man, I'm not entitled. I'm grateful, son. All right. That's not what we're talking about. What, what biblical gratitude looks like is humble recognition, humble recognition that all that you have is a gift of God's grace. That's gratitude in Scripture. It's humble recognition that all that you have, from your job to your wife to your kids to your family to the breath in your lungs and the food on your plate... It's a gift of God's faithful grace in our lives. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so gratitude says, God, I'm so thankful that you are you, despite who I am. And so this is so important in prayer. I come before God with thanksgiving. I enter his gates with thanksgiving. And here's how it helps me in my anxiety. I'm not just conscious of what I don't have and what I need. I come before God counting my blessings as well. I come before God fully aware of how faithful he's been. Some of us are way too consumed with what we need. And we're way too distracted from all that we have. How faithful God has been. How faithfully he's provided. Now, we come before God in prayer as our Father. We come before him with needs. But with those needs, we come with gratitude. Not just asking him for what we want, but thanking him for what we have. The result of this, verse 7, is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That's the result. The result of it is a peace that is uh, out of this world, literally. It's of God. Jesus says, it's a peace that I give to you. It's a peace. By the way, like, I've always understood this probably like, in, in, a, in a confusing sense to think like, it's not an equation, by the way. Don't treat this like an equation. Like, oh, I'm anxious. Okay, I do the pr prayer. Fill me with the peace. Where's the peace? All right, it's not like a quarter in the payphone, quarter in the vending machine thing. It's a peace that comes from bringing what you're going through before God. So here's what it looks like. I'm stressing. I'm anxious. I'm troubled. I'm worried. God, I come before you. You're my Father in heaven. I bring my request before you knowing that you hear me. You care for me. You know what's going on in my life. And then I thank you for all that you've done in my life. Is there not peace already? And there's just this peace that comes, not just like apart from your mind. It's just an idea that doesn't surpass your mind in the sense that you don't, I don't know, I just feel this thing. It's like, no, you should be able to give a reason to someone. It surpasses their understanding. They go, why do you have that peace? And you go, well, let me tell you about who God is. Let me tell you why I can be at peace even when everything's out of control. It's the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It's like what? is that it comes through a relationship with Jesus so so Paul gives this pathway pray about all things and don't be too anxious I'm, I'm gonna close these last two real quick okay don't worry all right 
Next thing that Paul says to do is don't just pray about good things but, or, or all things, but here's this next step on this pathway to peace. He also says, think about good things. Are you anxious? Well, have you prayed about what you're worried about? Are you anxious? I think Paul would say, what are you thinking about? So he talks to our prayer life, and then he speaks into our thought life. He says in Philippians 4, verse 8, finally, brethren, and the word finally there, you know, it's not like when a pastor says, okay, finally, my last point here, you know, and there's like 30 more minutes. The word there, finally, is one key point, a big master point. He says, brethren, whatever, now look at this list he gives of things to think about. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are, are lovely, whatever things are of good report, there is any virtue. And if there is anything praiseworthy, look at the word there. He says, meditate on these things. He moves from what you're praying about to what you're thinking about. Now, a word about this. Uh, this word, meditate on, in the Greek, some of your Bibles say, think about. It's a good translation. Um, the, the Greek word literally means calculate. I love that. Yeah, we're, all, we're human. We're calculators, aren't we? Okay. Um, my dad's actually like a real human calculator. It's pretty crazy. Anyway, all right? Mind, control, okay? Think about what you're supposed to teach, right? Okay, um, we, we, we calculate all day long. We're calculating life. We're calculating where's God in this. We're doing equations in our mind. It's like that meme, right, with all the equations, right? Like we're, we're calculating who God is. We're calculating what's, what's going to come. And we do this all day long, don't you? You kind of calculate. Oh, here's what, okay, you've already done this. You've calculated where the country's headed. You're like, all right, okay? All right. And you do it every morning. You do it with your life. You do it with your day. You do it with your kids. You do it with your friends. All day long, you're calculating. You're making sense. You're doing equations, trying to find solutions and, and gain clarity. And, and Paul is here is, is, is leading us to think about, listen, what we're thinking about. In this passage, let me, let me say it this way. Paul is um, calling us to be mindful of what our minds are full of. To be mindful of what our minds are full of. And there's a reason why Paul says this. There's a reason why Paul says to meditate on the right things, to think about the right things. Um, and we'll say it this way. The mind matters. What you think about matters. And it definitely matters to your peace. Have you found that? Have you, have you like, lost control of your mind before? And you just, it's like you're, you're just, and you're just like watching the news in your mind. You're just watching it and letting it control you and form you, the headlines of your mind. Uh, scripture teaches that what you think about matters. In fact, it's so much more than that. It's not just, it doesn't just matter generally, but it matters ultimately, actually, in the Bible. In fact, uh, it's Romans 12, 2, where Paul says this about the Christian life. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My whole life hearing this verse, I always thought about my behavior. And we still use it that way. Right? Don't be conformed to this world. Don't act like that. And Paul's, Paul's like, I'm not talking about how you're acting. I'm talking about how you're thinking. Transformation, the work of the Spirit in our lives to make us um, non-anxious people. It, it comes from the renewal of our mind. That's where it starts. It's the seed of our emotions. It's, it's the seed of, of our decisions. 
Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. A mind, it becomes a, this idea. That idea becomes an action. Often those actions that are kind of rooted in our emotions and our thoughts, they can become habits. Those habits, it's been said, become your character. Just with a thought. It's an anxious thought that leads to anxious character. And that's the issue. We don't want to get caught in that trap. But what you think about matters. It matters for who you are. It matters for who you, who you and I are becoming. Um, I wrote it down this way. Who you and I are becoming as either anxious, peaceless people or non-anxious, peaceful people. Who we're becoming is going to be determined by what we're thinking about, 100%. Now, in this passage, as you saw there, Paul gives like this filter. He's like, okay, therefore, since what you're thinking about matters to your formation and your peace, who you're becoming, Paul says, um, filter what's coming through your thought life through these things. Um, he says, first, whatever things are true. I'm going to just give you kind of what these words mean. And there's different translations. This is an interesting one. So Paul's like, when you think, when you think, think about what's true. The word true there in the Greek means that which corresponds to reality. So I want to say this. Most of what we worry about doesn't correspond to reality. Most of what we think about and are anxious about. In fact, there was a, a really interesting study done by a guy named uh, A.J. Cronin. Great name. And he created these five categories of worry that he found through some uh, psychology and a few things. Uh, he says 8%, this is obviously general. I don't know how you could actually prove this, but he, here it is. He says 8% of our worries, he says, they're real legit things. Okay, like you're going to die one day. That's real. Okay, that's going to happen, all right? 12% health-related, that's connected, okay? But 12% health-related, that number has probably gone up this year, I would assume, okay? 10%, uh, I love this, they got like a petty miscel miscellaneous drawer. You have that one? Like, where are we going to eat tonight? You know, that's that drawer, okay? Is that only me and my wife who have conflict about that? Okay. Strong fellowship about it. So 30% uh, of our worries are unchanging things of the past. We, wor we worry about things that we have no control over can't change it. And then he says this, 40% of things that we worry about, are, 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 they never happen. So according to just this study, Jesus kind of teaches the same thing, like how unproductive worry is. You can't add a, a, a day to your life or an inch to your height. 40% and then you have 30%. Most of the things we worry about, we have no control over. And most of what we're worrying about doesn't correspond to reality. It's just a waste of time. It's mostly what-ifs, hypotheticals. And, and I like that Paul says, stop wasting your headspace on hypotheticals. Stop wasting your mind. Those hypotheticals are forming you to be a fear-based person. Hypotheticals are not bringing the peace of God deeper into your heart and life. All right. It's not. What-ifs, what-if, what-if. Christians are not called to, to live their lives based on what-if. We're called to base our lives according to who is and what is and what has God said, what's true. He says also, whatever things are, we'll go back to this verse, whatever things are noble, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble. The word noble there, it, it speaks of a li lifestyle of things that are fitting for royalty. What a cool word. Think about things that are fitting for royalty. Like you would expect the, you know, the, the king and the, the, the kingdom I feel like so many like movies about this are like you have the wayward son who's like the prince and it's like what's he doing prince whatever you know 
like, I think like Prince, even Prince Harry had that big like scandal years ago in Vegas and stuff. We're talking pop culture here. What's up? And uh, I remember it's like Prince, ha- Prince Harry, okay? That's not fitting for the royal family. That's a sore spot. We don't have to get into the royal family. There's a lot of issues there. Meghan Markle. All right, all right. Where are we going with this? All right. Is it like this every week? You're standing here. Yeah, sorry. It is. All right. Noble. It's, it's fitting for royalty. And, and listen, if we're going to have standards for earthly kingdoms, Paul's saying there's certainly standards for the kingdom of God. Is what you're thinking about noble? Is it fitting for a citizen of the kingdom of God who doesn't live this idea kind of like earth up, we live heaven down. We understand things through the lens of heaven. Not just noble, he says, whatever things are right. Another translation is just is up there actually, and the other word for that is right. And it speaks about things that are uh, measured justly and fairly. I think we get into a lot of problems sometimes because we assume the way I'm thinking about something is fair. It's right. This is the right way to think about this. Maybe you should bring that before someone and let them confront that. Maybe it's not. Maybe it seems right to you. Whatever things are pure, this is an interesting one. This word in Greek means um, a substance that isn't mixed or adulterated with any other material. Pure. Are my thoughts pure? Or are they mixed with, adulterated with some kind of foreign substance or material? A lot of application there with God's word and God's truth. How a little leaven can leaven the lump. A little sprinkle of truth there, a little sprinkle of your favorite news network, your favorite political pundit. We begin to be formed into these pseudo-Christians. But is it pure? Are my thoughts pure? Where is this? What's the source of them? Lovely. That's another one. I love that one. Lovely. That's such a great, that's such a Mother's Day verse, okay? I did not plan that, all right? Lovely. Whatever things are lovely. The idea there is it's beautiful and it's pleasing. You know, are your thoughts lovely? Do you meditate on what's lovely? Um, Do do you start your day saying, this is the day that the Lord has made? That's lovely, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Or do you start your day with this, oh, the world is so broken. I'm such a wretched sinner. No, start your day with the Lord meditating on what's lovely, of good report. That means it's admirable, well-recommended. That's a convicting one, right? Like, would you recommend your thoughts to someone else? Most of the time, no, right? Are your thoughts well recommended? How about this one, virtue? We talked about who can find a virtuous mom. The idea there is excellent. It's life done well. And then lastly, it's this noun, praiseworthy. It's thinking about things that We'll, we'll experience a round of applause, not a boo, okay? It's thinking about things that deserve praise. Now, here, here's what's beautiful about these things. Um, each of them find their fulfillment perfectly in Scripture. If you're looking for these things, like things, things, like, well, where are these things? Let me tell you, they're one place. They're here in God's Word. In fact, this is what Scripture is constantly calling us to meditate on. Meditation. These things represent God's Word, something that's noble. How do I find what's true? John 17, 17, God, your Word is truth. 
It's the truth. How do I find what's pure and not mix with the culture of this world? We live in a day and age today that's critiquing the Bible through the thinking of the world. And we've got to learn to be those that critique every system of the world through the lens of the Bible. That which is pure, of good report. I mean, this is the, the nature of God's word. It's no coincidence that Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in, uh, stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He goes on to say that he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water that brings forth in its due, its due season. So, so, so here's the same word, meditate. Now, meditation, don't get tripped up by that word. You're like, hmm, is that meditation? Like, is that what we're going for here? Now, the word meditate in scripture, it's important to identify it. Um, Eastern meditation, when we use that word, we often mean mindlessness, Right? I'm meditating, I'm emptying my, something with the chi and a couple other things, but I'm emptying my mind, and I'm just being, I'm trying to get into my consciousness. Eastern meditation, even you can say it's now, you can even call it Western meditation, it's a lot more common, is this idea of like, I'm having a hard life, and we all do this, we all have these Eastern meditation bends. I just need to disengage, I just need to put on a show. That's my prescription for anxiety. A lot of the time, that can be our prescription. I just need to be mindless. That's, we think that peace is found in mindlessness. Biblical meditation is not mindlessness. It's mindfulness. Meditate on the law of the Lord. It's not, let me escape this. The pain is too hard. It's let me replace the lie with the truth of God's word. Let me allow God's word to fill my mind in such a way that I'm someone who meditates day and night. This is, this is Hebrew poetry to say all the time. Every moment of every day, God's word. I've got to get into God's word and I've got to more importantly get God's word into me. So that I have more to think about than what just comes into my head. Are you armed with God's word? Is the truth of God's word in your mind I, and I think, like, if there's something I want to say just lastly about this, it's this. It's, this is a really liberating truth, what, what, what Paul is saying, what, what Psalms is saying. And I think, I just feel like this is for someone today. You are not a victim to your thoughts. You don't have to think what you think you do. You have, listen, in Jesus, have not been given a spirit of fear. But you have been given a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And maybe that's the first lie that needs to be dispelled from your thoughts with the truth of God's word. You are more than the thoughts that keep coming into your head. There is more to the story than what you're thinking. And more than anything, it's this idea that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus. And that's even of your own thought life. You're not a victim to your thoughts. You don't have to entertain everything that enters into your psyche, into your head. I love this quote by Martin Luther. He says it so beautifully. He says, you cannot keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. Another way to say that is you can't keep a thought from entering your mind, but you can, you can keep it from being entertained. You can keep it from being something that you're focused on. You can fill it and replace it with God's word. And I can just say this. As someone whose depravity has drastically affected his mind, I can testify to the fact that God renews the mind. 
I think differently than I used to. I think more purely than I used to. Again, I don't know if I want to put them all up on the screen. They're not perfect. But God's word washes our minds. And you are not a victim to that. I, I, let me show you this. Second Corinthians says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Here's where your power comes from. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In Christ, you are not controlled by your mind. In Christ, you can control your mind. Mind control, the good kind. Your own mind in obedience and submission to the word of God. And the result of that is a transformed life. I'll bring up the band as we close out this last idea and send you off to your Mother's Day brunch. Lastly, write this down. This is where it has to end. We've got to be about right things. We've got to pray about all things. Bring your, your, your requests to God. It's a remedy for anxiety. Praying about all things and everything. We've got to think about right things. You're not a victim to your thoughts. You have a sound mind in Christ. You have the word of God to be those that meditate day and night on God's word. Inasmuch as D.A. Carson said that he's never met a chronic worrier that enjoys an excellent prayer life, I think you could also say that um, I would say I've never met a chronic worrier that enjoys regular meditation on God's word. There's just something there. And then lastly, what are you about? What's your life about? The last thing that Paul says, and this is so important, he says, the things which you learned, received, and heard, and saw in me. However you, 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 you got the, the truth that I was teaching, learned there, the word received is, speaks of like authoritative doctrine passed down. Whatever you've learned of me, he says, these, it's the shortest little section and it's the most powerful. These do. Notice the promise that follows this. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. This isn't just Paul, right? This is like Jesus, James, all throughout the Bible you have like, hey, it's, you've got step one, know the truth of God. Once you know it, your whole life needs to be about how do I live in this? It's great that you've learned it, received it, heard it, and saw it. You go, man, I heard that message. Amen. But Jesus says it's the wise man who doesn't just hear the teachings, but does them. Paul's saying, are you a Christian that does the word of God, that lives in the word of God? You know, our, our whole, like, discipleship vision as a church, like, why we exist, uh, believe it or not, we, we don't get to come up with that. <laughs> What, do we, what should be our mission say? You know, it's not like we get the ideas. It's Jesus who says that one of our commissions is to teach people to observe all the things that he's commanded. Now, the hardest part of this mission from Jesus is the word observe. If my job was to teach you all the things that Jesus commanded, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Like, oh, we just got to teach them what he said. Right, but our whole church is, is, is written around and designed around this idea that blessing is in the life of Jesus. That South Florida is better when we live in the life of Jesus. That our own lives and our peace is going to be more profound when we're living in the way of Jesus. So we even do in our groups, we do these sermon discussions where it's not about talking just about the message. But in our groups, what we try to do is go, okay, now how do we live into this in community? That's the whole vision and mission of our church. Um, and, and Paul says that this is the way to peace. 
You see, the, the point that Paul is making here in Philippians 4 is that at the end of the day, we've got to remember, peace is not just like this thing. Peace is found in a person. Peace is who God is. So peace is really going to come, listen, when you're walking with him. I think that's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is when we stray, he, the peace goes away, hopefully. In fact, Isaiah talks about this as kind of one of our problems. He says, the way of peace, this is humanity, we haven't known. There's no justice in their ways. They've made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes, notice this, whoever takes the way shall not know peace. Now, this isn't God saying, you can't have peace unless you follow me. He's saying, I love you enough to bring you back to the right path where peace is found, knowing that that path is, is not going to provide the peace that you need. So let me ask you this morning, where have you been looking for your peace? Who has been God to you? What has been God to you? And what does it look like today to repent of that and say, Jesus is better? This Jesus, listen, who Colossians says, he himself is our peace. This Jesus who died on the cross for my sin so that I could have eternal peace with God. What is that thing I've got to turn from today to come back to the place where I just rejoice in the fact that there's no one faithful like God. That there's no greater promoter to my peace than his promises and his faithfulness. Amen.